All right, would you please join me in the reading of God's word, if you could stand. Our text this morning is in Jonah. It's uh, chapter 1, verses 17 through 210. Yeah, that's a little better. Thanks, bud. All right. Uh, this is Jonah, chapter 1, verses 17 through 210. It says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is God's word. You may be seated. Would you join me in prayer, please? Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and we are just sort of humbled by this one phrase that we heard read from the scriptures, that the Lord prepared a fish to swallow Jonah. Oh God, how often in our lives you have prepared for us suffering. You have prepared for us what we would never have prepared for ourselves. But you prepare it, Lord, not to humiliate us or to crush us, but to reveal your kindness and love and grace and freedom and life to us. Help us to see that this morning clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week I had mentioned this wonderful um, known sort of kind of statement that I mistakenly said was C.S. Lewis. It's actually A.W. Tozer. Thank you, Mike Asselet. He emailed me that day. It's A.W. Tozer. I thought, too, by the way, I thought I was wrong, but um, it happens every now and then. He says this, though, in this uh, wonderful book that he writes. He says, It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. God actually rises up storms of conflicts in relationships at times in order to accomplish that deeper work in our character. We cannot, he says, love our enemies in our own strength. Isn't that true? 
He says, this is graduate level grace. Graduate level grace. Are you willing to enter this school? Are you willing to take the test? If you pass, you can expect to be elevated to a new level in the kingdom, for he brings us through these tests as preparation for greater use in the kingdom. But you first must pass the test. What a wonderful just insight to the scriptures, to our walks with God, and oh, how I wish we could know that this is a function of the Christian life. You guys have all seen the movie Rocky? Adrian! I asked Mandy this to marry me the same way Rocky asked Adrian to marry him. Do you remember what he said? I wonder if you might mind marrying me and stuff. <laughs> Something like that. Right. That's what I, that was very romantic. But you guys probably remember that movie, just a wonderful, wonderful part of our culture and just exciting. And you, you remember that part when, when Rocky gets knocked down and he's on the ground. And uh, that's every Rocky movie, right? But, <laughs> but who can forget that part, though, when he's sort of like in a daydream because he's been hit so hard. And you wonder, is he going to get up? And he has this sort of vision of Mickey in the training rink with him. And he's talking to him. Remember old Mickey? So here he is on the ground, having endured a beating, the beating of his life. And Rocky hears Mickey, that little angel, whispering in his ear. Remember what he says to him? Get up! Fill in the blank. Because Mickey loves you. Get up! Because I love you. Tozer speaks of a graduating grace. And friends, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, at some point, you are going to hit a wall. You are going to go through what the old saints called the dark night of the soul. And God is going to hurt you deeply. And he is not going to make sense to you. And you're going to wonder what all of this crazy faith is all about. And you're going to be confused and disoriented. As you journey through that dark night, friends, what happens inevitably, we see God's hand in all of these things, all of these motions, all of this suffering. But through it all, through the fog, at the end of it, we hear that whisper or maybe a scream not from an old boxing coach, but from the creator of heaven and earth. Get up, because I love you. Friends, this morning, if you are disillusioned, if you are beaten up, I want you to hear the voice of a loving God imploring you to get up. Whether you are not a Christian, whether you are a new Christian or an old Christian, friends, this is the prescription for real life in Christ for reconciliation with God, union with God, your joy, fulfillment, and satisfaction in life is bound up in this. That God uses the darkness of our lives, the suffering and affliction that we endure to reveal to us our utter need for him and not for him to fix our problem. 
we come to realize in the dark night of our soul that our problem is not what we lost materially, but our problem is a relationship with the maker, accepting his will for our lives, no matter what the cost and no matter where it leads. So he uses the darkness to reveal to us our need to trust him and to love him. And then comes that divine love that shouts, get up. It's time to get up. Because I have overcome, get up. Because I have saved you, get up. Because I have died for you on a cross, get up. Walk with me, follow me. Live with me. Because he's better than everything that you've lost. And chances are the reason you lost it is because that was the only way we would ever know it, that we would ever learn it. These are the kinds of words that Jonah hears in the darkest situation of his whole life. You know, if he stayed in the belly of that fish, I don't want to do the math for you, but there's only one step to go from there. And it's a little worse. There are kinds of words, though, that Jonah hears in the belly of this fish. And that message sank deep into a very rebellious and hard heart. And he heard it, and it transformed him. It made his anger and guilt into compassion and freedom. There were three truths that Jonah learned on that dark day, in that deep night. Number one, that affliction, his affliction was from God. Number two, the affliction was for Jonah and number three, the affliction carried grace. And this is going to be our sermon today, okay? Getting up life. If you're going to have the power to get up through the darkness of your life, you need to learn these things. That affliction, the affliction was from God, the affliction was for Jonah, and this affliction carries grace. You ready? Okay, good. The affliction was from God. Psalm chapter 119, verse 67 reads this. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Because in the mind of our flesh, we think that it's okay to leave God. That the things he says no to are foolish. He's probably not even real at all. And we go through this sort of like psychological process and we go do our own thing. Is that true? We disregard the word of God or even our own conscience that God has given to us as a gift of grace, and we leave him. But the psalmist says, before I was afflicted, that's when I went astray. So in other words, affliction corrects us. It teaches us. It's a tutor. It reminds us that what we need is his word. But now I keep your word. See, because life is in the word. It's not, life is not outside the camp. Life is not outside of Adam and Eve's paradise in the Garden of Eden where God lived. Life is there. Life is in good, right relationship with Christ. You see, friends, and darkness and affliction comes as a grace when we leave it. It comes from the hand of God. The great instrument that God uses to work in us repentance when we leave him that he used to work repentance in Jonah's heart and to bring him to a real and abiding love was suffering. He was cast into the Mediterranean Sea. I've been to the Mediterranean Sea. Some of you have. It is vast, enormous, and it can be violent. 
He was entombed. He was thrown into a violent, raging, angry sea, and he's entombed in a living, breathing, breathing aquatic coffin, a fish. And friends, it was in that affliction that light shined. It was in that dark place that he finally could see. Oh, the irony. You can't see in darkness. But there it's where Jonah saw. And friends, God will use your darkness so that you can see him. It was in this affliction that light shined that he learned who he was and who God was and what he needed most. God's abiding presence and word. That's what he learned in this dark place. He didn't need that girl that he lost. He didn't need more money. He wasn't living anymore in the bitterness of all of the unrealized hopes and dreams of his life because he realized what he needed most was the word and presence of God. And friend, that is all you need. Some of us are living in the past because of a loss. And friend, I know some losses are greater than others. And I mean no disrespect. We need to grieve our losses. They're tragic often. But no loss is worth leaving God over. You see, friends, is it possible that God is using that loss so that he can transform your heart and life to know that he made you for his pleasure? For him. The heart of sin says that God isn't God, I'm God, I know better. There's another voice in me, I'm going to listen to that. So we make ourselves God, right? When we disobey God, that's what's happening. We're saying, God's word says this, I'm saying no, and I'm going to do this instead. So what are we doing? We're saying, I'm God. If I'm listening to me, then I'm the authority. Is that true? So all sin is basically saying, God, you're not God, I am. Do you see the, the heinousness of it now? You're not creator, I'm creator. I take credit for this vast universe. And I don't need you. See, we don't always think through like when we disobey God's word like this on that level, but that is what's happening. It separates us from the presence of God and when we are separated from the kind presence of God, there is only darkness. There is only weeping, what Jesus calls weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus calls it the outer darkness. It's what the Bible calls hell. Friends, because God is life. And to be separated from God is to not have life. It's to know only hell. So in this rebellious race from Jesus, God pursues Jonah in what seems to be this angry storm where God is about to smush him. We'll get to that in a moment. Jonah's heart at this approach, this dark approach, begins to melt. Jonah begins to see that God was behind all of the harrowing circumstances of his life, and he begins to wake up. In chapter 1, if you recall, he sees, he says that the sailors, you remember in chapter 1, the sailors threw him into the sea. But now he says in chapter 2, verse 3, which we just read, you hurled me into the sea. What's going on here? You see, friends, those sailors' hands were not their hands. They were God's hands, and Jonah knew it. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. 
he knows that God is behind the circumstances of his life. Do you know that? Do you see that? This affliction wasn't an accident of nature. It was the instrument of God. It was a tutor leading Jonah to life. And friends, this is always a function of conversion. And what I mean by that is when you come to believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. When you turn from an old way and come to a new one. This is always a part of that process. You start to see God's hand in everything. God was behind that change of neighborhood, that change of school, that death even. God was in it, working through it. And he led me right where I needed to be. Right here at this moment. And friends, whether you realize it or not, you're in this room or you're watching online because God's sovereign hand of love has led you. And he's orchestrated your life in such a way so that you might know him and love him and see him. That he made you and wants you and adores you. So you start to see God's hand in everything and that no event of our lives is an accident. But God is in control and he has all authority over all things. He's behind it all. That even your afflictions are being used by God for your glory and help. Leviticus chapter 26 verse 36 says something pretty remarkable. God says, I will make their hearts so fearful they will run as though fleeing from the sword even though no one is pursuing. Why does God do that to us? When there's nothing to be afraid of, yet we're so afraid. Have you ever been there? God has given us everything. Health and finances and love and family. Everything's right, yet we're still an anxious wreck constantly. Could it be because we love the world more than the, the Lord? Could it be that he's not letting our hearts be content in the things that he has made because he knows that they offer nothing, that they're empty? Could it be that he's trying to bring you to a greater well of love? So he's not letting you out of love be content in this life. But he's drawing you to draw from his rich well, which Jesus said, if you drink this water, you'll never be thirsty again. Could it be that God doesn't want you to keep being thirsty off of empty promises that this world makes? So that you would come to him, the only one that can refresh the thirst that you have for him. So we're aroused from spiritual sleep when we come face to face with the holy God, when we see him, when we, when we begin to sense the weight of his goodness and righteousness and how we've even fallen short of it. Jonah had become awakened to this. He knew the justice of God, the the fierce righteousness of God was behind this storm. He knew God was after him. But he also knew that this affliction was not meant to destroy him, but to promote him, to awaken him. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, write that down. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That is, if he has given you faith in Jesus Christ. This simply means that all of the events of your life are orchestrated to promote you to the conformity of Christ, to be formed into his image and not your... In other words, he wants you to be like him. And what is he like? 
The Bible teaches us he is all good. You want to be all good? Then he, this is his work. He's all mercy. Do you want to have mercy? He's all love. Do you want to have love conformed into your heart? Do you want to be forgiving and gracious and kind? Because all of these are the attributes of God. So when we read Romans 8, he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what it means. He wants to make us like him. In other words, he wants to make you exactly what you've always wanted to be like, but never could. But he'll do it. In Jesus is life. God's love and mercy would move heaven and earth so that Jonah would possess that life. Friends, have you begun to see the hand of God? What Luther called the hound of heaven, moving heaven and earth to, to catch you, to chase after you? Friends, these are meant to awake you. His pursuit, though dark so often, is not meant to destroy, but to give life and light. The affliction was from God, but it was for Jonah. Let's look at this now. When Jonah cried to the Lord from the belly of the fish, he did so with a certain view of who God is. So Jonah was beginning to change his thinking about God. Prior, God didn't make sense. Prior, God wanted to forgive Nineveh for their wicked sins. Jonah didn't think that they deserved it. Now God was confusing to him. God wasn't worth following. So Jonah ran. Jonah starts to change his mind about God in the belly of the fish. God isn't simply a vindictive judge that sent a storm. Rather, Jonah knew God to be a loving father. How do you see a loving father in the belly of a fish? I think oftentimes many young children feel that way when they're put in the corner. How does my father love me doing this to me? Right? Verses 5 and 6 read, The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Now remember, Jonah had just said that the Lord sent him those threats. The deep that surrounded him. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. But now listen to his view about God. But you, Lord my God, brought me up, gave me life from the pit. Now he sees God as someone who is using this discipline to bring him back to life. Now he's seeing the love and mercy and forgiveness of God's restoration. You see? He's seeing God as a father that loves him. The God that brought him down is the same God that brought him up. There's another important change, not just Jonah's thinking about God. There's an important change in Jonah's thinking about himself. Jonah begins to see God as a loving father, but now Jonah's thinking about himself begins to change. At first, Jonah is concerned about all the things that he lost in life. And he's bemoaning them. Oh, poor me. And friends, how often I have known and worn that attitude like a robe, like a nice comfy robe. Oh, you don't know the pain and loss that I've experienced. And, you know, I wanted this and it didn't work out. And I, I was hoping for that and it didn't come. Poor me. 
and we think our life is a second place life, is a B life. It's a life that is worse than everyone else, who all these other people around me who got their hopes and dreams fulfilled. Have you been there? So we just sort of kind of walk through each day. We'll do it because, hey, it's not that bad, but it's not what it could have been or should have been. This is what Jonah is thinking. In verse 3, you hurled me into the depths, into the heart of the sea. You know, you can't have a nice turkey dinner in the middle of an ocean, right? You can't celebrate Christmas in the belly of a fish. Jonah is bemoaning here his material loss, the things that are gone from him now. He is concerned about his physical life. No more festivals, no more friendships, no more laughter. His primary concern about God's affliction are the loss of life's comforts. You see? But something happens in Jonah through this affliction. His heart is transformed. Because in verse 4 it says, I said, I have been banished from your sight. Now the problem isn't the toys he lost. The problem is a broken relationship with his father. That's what bothers him now. You see the difference? He has come to realize that his life is wrapped up in the Father's love, not in the Father's stuff. Do you know that? You see, friends, because when you go through loss, if you know that, you'll grieve, yet not as those without hope. You'll grieve, and it will be hard but not as those without hope. You'll have the Father's love still. See? Now his concern is not missing that he's missing out on the pleasures and comforts of life, but there is something wrong with his relationship with God. He came to want the Lord, his Father, and not simply his thanks. And friends, that is the mark of a person that sees a father's love behind affliction rather than seeing a judge. He came to know that what he needed most was the comfort of God's love and not the world, not the comfort of the world he created. <clears throat> that truth was restored in Jonah's heart. Is it in yours, friends? Do you see this? That, that your affliction is for you so that you will begin to love and cherish the Father more than the Father's things. So this affliction, number three, this is the third truth Jonah learned. This was his getting up power, right? This affliction carried grace. That's got to be the conclusion of all this. This affliction was a sort of vehicle. It was a UPS truck delivering the package of God's grace. You see, the truck, the UPS truck, seems as if it's dark, it's dismal, it's tragic, it's affliction. But it's delivering something that without, you wouldn't have no life. See, affliction, when, when it comes from God, and it does, affliction, when you see the love of God behind it, will always carry grace to you. Sinclair Ferguson a noted scholar, notices how God is dealing with Jonah in these passages. He writes that his sin brought him down, 
right? To the roots of the mountains I sank, Jonah said. So his sin brought him down, but God brought him up. You brought up my life from the pit. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, but you brought up my life from the pit. So Jonah's sin brought him down, but God brought him up. His sin cast him out, but God brought him in. I am driven away from your presence, but my prayer came into your holy temple. You see, sin brought him down, but God brought him up. Sin cast him out, but God brought him back. You see, affliction, friends, carries grace. God pulled Jonah's feet that were deservedly stuck in the mud because of his own hard heart and rebellion, and God came down to that deep, dark place and yanked him out of that affliction. God's grace brought life and light. He says, the Lord is my salvation. If I die, I die. He could have died a happy man in the belly of that fish, but he didn't because God ordained and ordered that fish to spit him up onto dry ground. And Jonah was a changed man. You know what happened to Jonah? This is what grace does to you. When you encounter the grace of God, when you know that God is just and righteous, and you deserve nothing from him, yet he reaches out to you and pulls you and gives you forgiveness and cleans you, when that grace is realized for the first time and you're given eyes to see, it transforms you. It makes you new. It makes you a different person. There are, there are some things that I want to talk about that grace births in you. The first one is compassion. Before, Jonah had no compassion. Now, he had, now he's got it. Those who cling, in verse 8, to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. He's talking about pagans now. He's talking about idol worshipers. The very people he didn't want to go to, which was Nineveh, right? God told him, go to Nineveh, preach to them salvation, because their sin has come up to me as a putrid smell. But God loved Nineveh and wanted them to be saved. Jonah says, no way. Those guys are, are crumb bums. They're dirt bags. I'm going in the other direction. That's what I'm doing. But now, all of a sudden, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit grace that could be theirs. There's this indication that in, in Jonah's heart, now he wants those who he, he didn't want prior to be saved. Jonah had no grace for Nineveh, but now there's grace. Friends, until we see how much we have needed the forgiveness of God and how much God has given us that forgiveness, we will never offer it to others. Our hearts will remain hard, and we will be unable to forgive anybody, even for the smallest thing. But when God forgives us, and we see it, and we know it, oh, how compassion breathes in us and through us. Isn't that true? We're able to forgive people. We, were never, we never thought we were able to forgive. Friends, there are men and women and young people and aunts and uncles and co-workers, friends, who cling to worthless idols and they need the grace of God that you have. So until the grace of God is breathed afresh in your hearts, oh, you will not have a burden for them. 
We preach the gospel to ourselves. We remind ourselves of the undeserved love that God has given us. And you know what it does? It makes us love unlovely people. It gives us a mission to go after the same. Friends, if you think you are owed God's love, you're never going to offer it to people you think are not owed his love. Grace births compassion. But grace, grace births mission. I'm going to close with this. Verse 9 reads, What I have vowed, I will repay. Did you see those words when we read them at the beginning? Jonah says, What I have vowed, I will repay. Jonah realizes God has loved him and forgiven him and saved him. And this is his response to God. God, what I vowed, I will repay. You know what he's saying? God, what you have called me to do, what you've always called me to do in my faith, I'm going to start doing it again. Because that is who you've made me to be. And I'm not going to stay down in guilt because I've made a mistake or because I've sinned. I'm going to get up and I'm going to do it. What I have vowed, I will repay. That's what the grace of God does in our lives. The love of God does in our lives when we've fallen far from him, when he's confused us and we've ran away and we run away. But when we've neglected his word and fellowship and prayer, when, when he finally wakes us up through affliction, we say, what I have vowed I will repay. I'm going to be a prayer man. I'm going to be a word man. I'm going to be a fellowship man, a church man, right? I'm going to use my gifts to your glory because you've forgiven me. And I want others to be forgiven too. So send me, Lord. Where am I going? I'm going to see that next week. This fish hurls him up onto dry ground. And the, you know what the first words uh, are of chapter 3? Then the word of the Lord came again to Jonah a second time. Go to Nineveh. You see, God has called us, friends, as Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, to not sit on our butts and warm a seat in church. He's called us to have real, lasting friendships, fellowship with each other. We can't do that online. And I know we're in a weird time, but hopefully we're out of it soon. And, we've, and even in it, we find creative ways to not, let, to not be a slave to the apathy that's almost being promoted. We need fellowship with each other. And we also need to tell the lost that are, that are, surrounded, that are surrounding us of the grace of Christ. You see, grace births mission. What I have vowed, I will repay. He's being brought back to that former com commitment. He was a prophet of God, and now he's returning. He's remembering his vow to speak to the Lord. And friends, Jesus said, I am going to make you fishers of men. That's our vow as Christians. And when we fall away from his grace and his goodness and pleasure and sin, we come back to his forgiveness and light only to be told yet again, go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. How has he gifted you, friend? Who have you been throughout your Christian life? And why have you stopped doing it? Maybe affliction has made you bitter. Would you get up? Would you come back? Grace known in your life will put you on a mission that you cannot deny. And we're going to sing like that great hymn, Oh, use me, Lord, use even me. <laughs> use even me. Just as thou wilt.
and when and where. You look out into the world around you, there's no de denying it. People need the love of Christ. Isn't that true? So offer it to them. Be bold. Be courageous. Be brave. They might think you're nuts. It's okay. We are nuts a little. Yay. Right? Yay. Be a little nuts. Let your nuttiness show a little. It's okay. We share Jonah's prayer of consecration. Consecrate us. God, what we have vowed, we will pay. Amen? Amen? That's what I hope 2021 is for us and for the rest of our lives. What we have vowed in our Christian life and devotion and faith in Jesus Christ will pay. And we're not going to stop because life gets tough. We're going to keep going and keep believing and trust in the word of God and believe in him. Amen? Friends, do you not know Christ's savings love yet? Maybe you've never heard of this and you don't know of Christ yet. Well, he calls you to get up too, to respond to him. That though you're lost in sin, you can be saved and have new life in Christ. Are you new to faith? Maybe this is kind of new to you. Every single day, get up. Get up in faith and trust. Surrender your life and will to the one who is victorious. And follow your Savior. And maybe you're older in the faith. Maybe you're apathetic or bored. Maybe you've been brought low through affliction. Or maybe God has delivered you into the dark night of your soul. Friend, look up and get up. It's time. You got one life. You got one life to live. And God has given you this life to have unspeakable joy in relationship with your God, even though all of the junk of your life has happened. As a matter of fact, as that kid is now announcing to us, it comes through affliction. Life comes through affliction. So it's graduation day. And I hope that you get up, because Jesus loves you. He's been in all the details of your life. He's been with you from the very start. And he is escorting you to a graduation procession. And I hope that you can get up, because you know what? He got up for you at a cross. I hope that you can get up because he got up for you out of a grave. And I hope that you can get up because he got up for you, and he sits in heaven right now interceding for you, pleading for you this moment with his blood. I hope that we can all get up because he loves us. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, that you got up for us. Oh, God, you were brought low. You were crucified and killed. You went into the darkness. God, you went into a much slimier and darker grave than Jonah or we would ever know. And you got up. You rose again. And you ever lead to plead, you ever live to plead for us so that you can escort us home in your image. God, use us, clean us. Help this year, help us to put down our fears and our disappointments and our sin and to trust you with all of it and to follow you no matter where it leads. God, help us to pay what we have vowed. 
And friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ and you're watching online or you're here in person, now's the time. Oh friend, would you get up? Would you believe in Jesus Christ? Would you hear his call that he created you for his glory and for your pleasure, that you would know his life and love and you've trusted in everything but him? Would you come to him? Cry out, God, save me, I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died in my place. He took on the wrath of God for me in my place, was risen up on the third day at his resurrection so that I could be resurrected too. Oh God, how we love you. And friends, if you're making that decision, if you feel God, feel God moving your heart in that direction, would you come and talk to me? Would you call me, email me, talk to somebody so that we can celebrate you and help you? God, we love you this morning. We pray that you would continue to bless our worship service in Jesus' name. Amen.